Father God, thank you for this time of worship that we've had. God, just a time to, to dwell in your presence, God, and just to draw close to you. God, I know that I need that throughout the week. God, uh, there are so many times where I feel discouraged, I feel down, I feel weak, I feel empty. Uh, Lord, it's so good to just come into your house and be encouraged and be, be drawn close to you. God, I just pray right now, Lord, as we study your word and see what you have to say to us, God, that you would change our lives through your word. God, help us to realize more about who you are, God, and who we're to be in Christ Jesus. God, we love you. Be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're continuing, like I said, in the series of Yoked. And we, we're going to look at different couples in the Bible, but we're also going to look at, uh, at some different passages, especially Ephesians chapter 5. I really feel like you know, as I was studying for this message, that I really needed to go to Ephesians chapter 5 and talk about how husbands are supposed to behave, how wives are supposed to behave. So I really feel like next Wednesday night we'll be covering that uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. So uh, you want to come and be a part of that and understand more about what it means to be a husband or a wife. We're also going to cover uh, singleness. If God has called you to a life of singleness, you know, what does that look like? Now, how am I supposed to live inside, uh, you know, that, that particular situation that, 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 I'm, that I'm in, you know? Maybe it's a period of time, and maybe it's uh, not for a period of time. Maybe it's for a long period of time. Maybe it's forever. I don't know. It could be. Uh, some people are called to singleness. It's, it's literally a calling on their life. We're going to look at that, too, uh, probably the following week. So right now, though, I want to take a look at it. Some folks you may have heard of, a pretty famous couple. We looked at Mary and Joseph last week, right? So we looked at, like, we looked at, at the mother of Jesus, and we looked at like the stepdad of Jesus, because God was really uh, the father of Jesus, because the Holy Spirit is the one that came in and, and, and caused Mary to, to become with child. And we talked about how Joseph was there, and he was like, the angel of the Lord came and spoke to him, and Everything kind of worked out really well, and Joseph, even though he's probably freaked out by the whole situation, the angel of the Lord confirmed it, and he was like, okay, we're good, let's move forward with this situation. Uh, it's going to be this, this child named Jesus, and he's going to be the Savior of the world. So uh, you've probably heard of Mary and Joseph, you've probably heard of the other couple that we're going to talk about today, which is Adam and Eve, uh, another pretty famous couple in the Bible. Uh, they were the original couple, you know, I mean, like... You know, if you're couple goals, right? I mean, like that. They they are the original couple. Uh, they're they're the first ones. I love saying stuff that make you guys like chuckle underneath your breath. I mean, like, you know, I try to say stuff that you guys would say, and it makes you laugh when an old guy says it. So anyway, uh, I like doing that to you. Uh, but Adam and Eve, God created the world, and He created uh, man, and then He created woman, and that's all covered. You know, in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, and in particular, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, which deals, God felt it necessary to take the sixth day when, when, when man and woman was created and kind of spell it out for us, exactly how it happened, what transpired during that time, uh, and, and it really it kind of zooms in on day six when, when God created man and, and woman, and that's what we see in Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to, we're going to look specifically beginning in verse 18, we may back up to verse 15 later, but, ooh, did I tell you to go to 15? That's pretty good because, ha, 
I did tell you that? That's good. Okay, well, I wanted to go to 15. I thought I told you to start in 18. All right, God is good. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of this fruit, you are sure to die. So God has set up a place for man to dwell. He's, he's, I mean, like, it literally says it doesn't even have to rain. Like, like, water comes up from the ground and, like, nourishes the plants and, and the, 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 the trees. And, like, man, I mean, somebody asked the question the other day, were, were, was, were they hungry? Well, yeah, why did they eat? And I, I, this is my take on that, right? So the Garden of Eden was perfect where man lived was it was a perfect place I don't believe that they really ate for hunger I don't believe that they got hungry because it was a perfect place sin hasn't entered in the world yet they don't experience pain they don't experience bad stuff bad stuff hadn't happened yet they don't even know what bad stuff is they didn't know bad stuff could ever exist and they ate I think that they ate <laughs> you know what I think I, this is a Kenny Nick's interpretation so I don't know if you can like take this to your Bible class or not but what I think they did I think they ate for fun you know, I think they ate because they enjoyed it. I think it was pleasurable for them, so they ate. Did you ever, have you ever eaten just for fun? I know that you have. I mean, that's why they created M&Ms, right? I mean, it's just for fun. It, uh, there's no sustenance to that. You can't say, God, bless these M&Ms to the nourishment of my body because there is no nourishment in that. It is just strictly for fun, right? I mean, like, that's the reason God created M&Ms was just for fun, just for us to enjoy chocolate and, and that candy shell, I mean, that melts in your hand, not in your mouth. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> thank you for laughing. I knew you'd get that. Anyway, so... Um, it's just for fun. I believe that's the reason Adam and Eve ate in the garden was just because it was fun and they enjoyed it and it was pleasurable. They didn't really necessarily recognize that they would be hungry, I don't think, because they wouldn't suffer pain. So probably it was just for fun and they just so happened that it was good and it nourished them. It's like broccoli that tastes like M&M's. That's the way the Garden of Eden would have been. I mean, yeah, I know. That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> Lizzie's like, yeah, that's exactly what it had been like. I mean, they just, they just ate and enjoyed it, and it was all pleasurable, and it was all wonderful. And, 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 and God says to the man, he says, look, you can eat anything here. Like, it's all good except for this one tree. It's, it's in the middle. I, I know it's in the middle. I know maybe the placement's not real good, but it's really, it's really good that you don't eat of this tree because if you do, the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. You will die if you eat of this tree. Now, I could probably spend 20, 30 minutes talking about, you know, my, my thoughts about why a tree would exist, that, 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 that God would say you can't eat of this tree. All I know is this. God created a tree, and he told man, don't eat of this tree. You can eat anything else. You can have anything else you want. You can enjoy it. Uh, this is a place that doesn't have any weeds. It doesn't have bad fruit, all the fruit that comes off the other trees is good, don't eat from this tree. Now, you want me to tell you why? I can't tell you why. You know why? Because I'm not God, okay? I can make guesses, and I can try to say that this is what God was up to, but I don't really know. All I know is God said, don't eat of this tree, and he told man, he told Adam specifically, don't eat of this tree or else you'll die, or else you'll die. Let's go on. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. 
I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed the ground, formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And he, the man chose a name for each one of them. He gave the names to all the livestock and all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. So, so God is looking at, at all of creation, and he says, it's not exactly the way it needs to be. Now, I want you to understand something, that, that when God created all the livestock and all the animals and all the beasts of the field and all that stuff, that he created them male and female. You know how I know that? Because when they went on the ark, they were supposed to bring two of them, one male, one female. So, so when God created the animals, he created a male and female. Well, right now, he's got man created, and he says, it's, it's not exactly there yet. It, it's not quite there yet. There needs to be a helper for the man. Now, why were the, the beasts of the field and the animals, why were they not suited for him? Why, why were they not okay for, for man to have a relationship with them? It's because they're not capable of relationships, are they? Uh, they're, they're not capable of having that relationship with the man, uh, one that, 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 that is, is unique to man, right? Like So man has to have somebody like him in order for him to have a relationship. He can't just have a relationship with the livestock or the birds of the air or any of that kind of stuff. They, they don't have the same capacity for relationships like man does. So that's why it's not exactly working exactly right. It needs to be straightened out. It needs to be fixed. It needs to be put in order. And that's when God says, I've got a plan. And he calls, causes sleep to fall on the man. We all know what's about to come next, right? Like, so anybody that's, that's ever studied the Bible or heard about the Bible or knows about Adam and Eve, we know exactly where the woman comes from. And that's what we study next. The dude goes into sleep. It must have been a really deep sleep, by the way. Verse 22 while the man had slept, the Lord God took one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. So he, he takes the rib out of the man and he seals up the opening, like the first surgery, right? So this is the first surgery. This is pretty good, right, for all you nursing students. Uh, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. <laughs> Sorry. I think that it's funny that the next verse says, he exclaimed. Uh, <laughs> At last. <laughs> he didn't say, oh. He said, at last, the man exclaimed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I think that's hilarious, man. I, like, the dude's pumped, you know. Like, he's like, <laughs> this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called, whoa, man, uh, because she was taken from man. So, so the dude is very excited. <laughs> he's like, so... <laughs> I like telling stories, so this is fun for me. Um, I, you you got to give me some freedom here. This is, this is fun. So anyway, I can see, you know, Adam, he's, he's groggy, right? He just woke up. He's like, you know, he's all, oh, man, that was, that was like, God gave me some NyQuil, some Benadryl, something, man. That was a deep sleep. And he's, he's kind of groggy. He's wiping his eyes. He's getting the matter out of his eyes, you know. Well, it probably wasn't any matter. It's Garden of Eden, so it probably wouldn't even matter. So he's just like, you know, he's, he's trying to wake up. And uh, God <laughs> brings him a present, right? And it's his present. He goes, whoa, you know, <laughs> whoa, man. And uh, he, he exclaimed, at last. <laughs> the dude's pumped. Now we're going to see. 
I'm sorry. It, it is funny, right? It is. I mean, if you think about it, it really is funny. But we're going to see exactly part of the reason why maybe uh, man was pretty pumped up. But he was, he was excited. He's like, at last, this is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. That's the reason he was excited. They were both naked, you know. It's like, it's like you know, I mean, he was like, yes, this is good, you know. All the women are doing this right now, okay. They're all going. The guys are over there going, mm-hmm. All the women are going. So they're both naked. Look, it's in the Bible. You can't, you can't knock me for saying this stuff. It's in there, man. Go read it for yourself. It's in there. He's waking up out of his deep sleep. God brings him a naked woman, and he's excited about it. I mean, he exclaimed at last, and, and this, this is the way it is. And he's, he's, he's like, I think that he recognizes that finally, at last, He's got a partner. He's got a helper. He's got somebody to be beside him. And, and it, it even goes on to, to kind of point out here in Genesis that, that you know, that, that this, is, this is how God makes a couple one. It's a work of God. It's a miracle, right? So, so God took woman out of man. They were one and they became two. And then, which can only be done by God. God is the only one that could do that, right? He's the only one that could take one and make two out of it. Well, so much so that God is the only one that can take two and make one out of it. And that's what we call marriage. And that's, that's a God thing. And that, that's what God does. And, and God's the only one that can do that. He's the only one that he could take two, one and make two. So he's the only one that can take two and make one. And that's what happens in the covenant of marriage. That's exactly what happens is that it's a miracle of God. And he says that they, they were naked, but they felt no shame. It's because there was no sin. There was no reason for them to feel shame because they were naked. There was... There was no, they didn't understand what shame was. There, there couldn't be any shame because they didn't know what it was. So here they are. They're, they're both naked, but there's no shame. Well, that, that's going to change, right? We know that that changes. And let's go on to read what else happens here. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? So what's going on here? Well, this is Satan. Satan has manifested himself physically as an as, as a, as a animal, as, as the serpent who is the shrewdest in, in the garden. So it's, it's, like, it's not necessarily that, that, uh, that, that Satan himself was a snake. It's as much as it was he took the form of a snake. He inhabited a snake, if you will, in order to be able to talk to the women because we know that the snakes don't talk. Well, this serpent was actually talking to Eve, and he's starting to challenge her on some stuff. He's starting to confuse her. Do you remember one of the things that I've said as we talked about the, the spiritual battles that we've faced or the spiritual warfare that we're in is that Satan is always trying to cause confusion. He's trying to confuse you about what God has said. He's trying to confuse you about what you're supposed to do. And that's exactly what he's doing here from the very beginning, right? He's trying to put doubt in the woman's mind, right? Do you think about what happens in you and your life as Satan tempts you? What happens? You start to doubt God. You start to doubt what God said was true. You start to doubt and say, is this really what God said? Am, am I really supposed to do this? Is this really what God meant by this? 
And that's exactly the kind of doubt that Satan's trying to put in, in the mind of Eve right here. So, so Adam and Eve have this great relationship going on. And what happens? Satan starts to, to get them to question God. In, in particular, he starts with a woman and he starts to get her to question God. Now, this happens all the time in our relationships, right? What, what does Satan do? He tries to bring in confusion, tries to confuse us, tries to, to, to twist things around. And that's exactly what he did right here. He, he's trying to twist God's word because look what he says. He doesn't say... Now, what's interesting to me is he knows what God said, but that's not what he says to Eve. The serpent who's been, who's been in the garden, he knows what God has said, but that's not what he says to Eve. He, he twisted a little bit. Did God really say he must not eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? You can't eat from any of these trees out here, any of these beautiful trees? And, and Eve kind of does the right thing here. She says, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or, you, or even touch it, or if you do, you will die. Now, Eve starts out on a good note here. She starts trying to do the right thing, and she says, no, of course we can eat of the other trees. It's just that one in the middle that we're not supposed to touch. Did God say that they weren't supposed to touch it? No, that's not what God said. Let me ask you this question. Who did God tell, um, who did God say, to whom did God say, don't eat of this tree? Did he say it to Eve? No. He said it to Adam, didn't he? So where, where, did, where did Eve get her information? Either one of two things happened here. Either Adam gave her bad information or, or she kind of took it upon herself to exaggerate it a little bit and say, well... He said that I wasn't supposed to eat of it, so that must mean I'm not supposed to touch it. But that's not what God said. Even though Satan had tried to confuse her and saying that she shouldn't eat of any of the fruit and any of the trees, it kind of worked a little bit in that she has already been confused a little bit about exactly what God has said. And she goes, well, I'm not even supposed to touch it. Now, even, even the fact that, that it's exaggeration... I believe even the fact that she has taken it to the next level, I think is even bad because it's not exactly what God said. What does this teach us? As we follow God's word, as we understand more and more about the things that God has said through his word, we need to pay careful attention to it. Because one thing that can easily happen is that we can get confused when we start to be tempted. We, we, can, we can be confused about what exactly did God say. That's why God's word is so important to us. And we need to know exactly what he said. And we need to understand exactly what he said so that we're not confused. Because that's exactly the way that Satan wants to come in and work in our lives is to confuse us. Is this exactly what God said? Oh, he said, he said we could eat of the other trees, but we just couldn't eat of that one. But if we, we can't even touch that one. And we know that that's not exactly what God said. It says, if you do, you will surely die. You won't die. <laughs> what does the serpent say? You won't die. It's like he went in the complete opposite direction of what God had said, right? This is exactly what Satan does. He goes in the complete opposite direction. First, he causes confusion. Then he tries to pull you the other way. So first, he gets you all mixed up, and you start going, yeah, is that really what God said? I don't... I don't know. And then he's like, before you know it, he's like trying to pull you the other way. And he goes, you will not die. You won't die. 
The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. This is what he says. You know what, you know what the serpent says to Eve right here? He says, he's hiding something from you. He's, he's hiding it from you. He didn't, he didn't want you to know what he knows. Boy, that's the greatest temptation of all right there, isn't it? Like, he just didn't want you to experience what's good. He didn't want you to experience the other side. He, don't, he didn't want you to see that the grass is really greener on the other side, so he's keeping stuff from you. He's holding back on you. He's holding out on you because he don't want you to be like him. He wants to keep all the power, all the rule, all the control, so he doesn't want you to know what he knows, so he's holding out on you. What is he doing? Doubt. Doubt, 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 doubt. That is exactly what Satan is doing, trying to cause doubt in Eve's mind, just like he tries to cause doubt in your mind every single day. He tries to get you to doubt God, doesn't he? You know that he does. In your relationships, in your relationship with Jesus, what is Satan trying to do? He's always causing you to try to have doubt. If he can just get you to doubt God. You know what Satan tried to do when, when, when he, he tempted Jesus? Right before Jesus started his ministry and Jesus was out in the wilderness, what did he try to do? He tried to get Jesus to doubt God. Over and over and over again, he, he tried to get Jesus to say, ah, Man, are you really supposed to be hungry? Why don't you just turn this stone into some bread and then you can eat, man. You don't have to be hungry. Or, 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 or why, why don't you throw yourself off this high place and, and, and man, you'll be okay. You'll survive. You're the son of God. Or, or why don't you bow down and worship me and I'll give you everything. All the kingdoms of the earth, they will all belong to you. And constantly Satan's trying to put doubt in the mind of Jesus. That's how we tempted him. That's how we tempted Eve in the garden. It's the same motive. It's the same MO. It's the same thing he does in you, in your life, trying to place doubt in the middle. And that's exactly what happens here, right? He's holding out on you. There's something he don't want you to know. He just wants to maintain the control. That's why he's holding out on you. The woman was convinced Probably really bad right there, right? Didn't take a whole lot of convincing. He didn't have to say a whole lot. All he had to do was cause some confusion and cause her to doubt, and she was done. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give to her, so she took some fruit and ate it. And everybody's like, well, man, what's the big deal? You know, it's some fruit. It's some fruit from the tree. The reason it's a big deal is because God said it. The reason that, that, that things in your life are a big deal, that you go the other way against what God says, is because God said it. It's because you got doubt in your mind that God's way is the best way, and you try to go your own way, do your own thing, and say, my way is the better way. And God says, your way is not the better way. If you trust me, if you have faith in me, if you believe that my way is the best way, then you'll do what I say. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If, if you love me, you'll trust that I know what I'm talking about here. You'll understand that, that, that my ways are higher than your ways. And you'll, you'll believe and have faith that, that I know what's best for you, even when you don't know what's best for you. But if you have doubt, then that's when Satan slips in, right? That's when Satan slips in. She's convinced. She eats some fruit. And she gave some to her husband. 
who was with her, and he ate it too. So here we have, not only has she done this thing, but she's, she's there, and Adam is there with her, and she, she says, here, try this. I want you to, I want you to experience what, what I have, what, what, what I've been convinced of. I, the doubt has, has crept in to Eve, and now doubt is going even the next step further, and it is having an impact on her husband. Well, that's the way that it works, right? So it creeps in in one area, and before you know it, it has this trickle effect. And the people around you, the people even that you love the most, are impacted by your doubt, your sin, your desire to go the other way against what God has said. A lot of truth to this, right? A lot, I mean, you say, well, it's a lot of symbolism, but I'm telling you, man, it's, it's exactly what you and I go through every day. And when sin creeps into one area... In, in your relationship, what's it going to have? It's going to have a ripple effect throughout the people that you love and, and throughout your relationships. Once you begin to doubt God and, and you don't trust what God has said to be true. So Adam eats too. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breeze, breezes were blowing... The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? So here we see they've recognized they have had their eyes open. And it's not as good as they thought. They, they thought that it was going to be a whole lot better. Isn't that the way with all sin, right? It looks good on the outside. Then when you, you dip into it, it, all of a sudden it's not so good after all. It's just not all it's cracked up to be, right? That's what they call deception because it looks good on the outside. You get in the middle of it, turns out it's not that good after all. They recognize that they're, they're naked. They feel shame all of a sudden. And what do they do? They're guilty, so they hide. They know they're guilty. They feel the shame, so they immediately they know they're guilty and they go and they run and hide. And God is, is coming through. Now see, it, it says... It says in Genesis that, that God used to walk with Adam in the cool of the day and just be close to him and have a relationship with him. Well, here you see God coming through once again, and God's looking for them, but they're hiding. Who does he call out to? Does he call out to Eve? Eve, where are you at? Eve, I'm looking for you. No. No, he doesn't. It says he calls to the man. He calls out to the man. You think, you think God knows where Adam and Eve are? You think, you think the sovereign Lord of the universe that created the garden and everything in it, including man and woman, out of the dust of the earth, you think he knows where they are? Of course he does. Of course he knows. He says, where are you? I've said it before, I'll say it again. Every time God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know. It's an invitation for you to respond to him. This is an invitation for Adam to say, I'm right here. I, 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 recognize, I recognize something about myself. Let's go on to look and see what it says. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? You don't even know the meaning of naked. How did you know that? The Lord God asked, have you eaten of the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? He says, he's asking questions again, right? 
Once again, the Lord God of the universe is giving Adam a chance to repent, a chance to confess what he's done. Not because God doesn't know, it's because he's given him a chance. He's given him an opportunity. We're going to kind of breeze through the rest of this a little bit. But the man replied, it was the woman. <laughs> now some people say that this is an indictment on the woman. I don't think so. I don't think the guy was like going, it's her fault. She did it. I don't believe that he was like, she is the one that made me eat the fruit. She's the one that caused me to do this awful thing. You know, you know what I think this is right here? I think this is an indictment on God. Because look what he says. He says, he said, it was the woman that you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. This is what he says. He says, he says you did it. You created her. You brought her into this world. And, and because you did that, that's the reason I've sinned. That's the reason I did this thing that was against you and your will is because you did this. Now, remember, a little while ago we were talking about the fact that he exclaimed. And now he ain't so happy about the fact that the woman has been created, right? Like a minute ago, he was thinking God had done this great thing. And now all of a sudden it's like, God, you've done this bad thing because you created a woman. And she's the one that caused me to sin. You know what the reality is here is that man holds all the blame. That's, that's the truth of the matter, okay? When it comes to the relationship and how God views the husband and wife relationship, the man is responsible. The, the man is absolutely responsible. He's the, one, he's the one that was responsible for taking the information that God had given him and taking it to the woman and relaying that information to him, to her, and, and, and he's responsible. Do you recognize that that's the way that it's set up? In the marriage relationship, is that the, the, the man is supposed to be the head of the household. He's supposed to be over the household. He is supposed to be seeking God so that he can lead him. He can lead his family the right direction. He can, he can tell his family the truth of what God has actually said. We're going to talk about that in Ephesians chapter 5 next week. But, but the reality is, is that, that, that God has designed it this way. He's designed it such that, that, that God gives the direction to the man, and then the man is supposed to, to relay that information to the rest of his family. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? Another, it, giving her a chance to repent, right? Giving her a chance to confess what she's done before God. The serpent deceived me. <laughs> so the man blames God, the woman blames the serpent, Right? That's pretty interesting to me, that, 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 that the man blamed God, she blames the serpent, said, Satan did it, the devil made me do it, right? That always works good with God, right? The devil made me do it. Yeah, that didn't work here either. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, this is what's beautiful about the gospel. This, this, is, this is the original gospel, by the way, in case you're wondering, this, this is the gospel in Genesis Chapter 3, we, we see the curse and the fall of man, and in the middle of the curse and the fall of man, we see the beauty of the fact that God is a Savior, God is a Redeemer, and we see that right here. It says, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Immediately, he goes to the serpent, and he starts talking to the serpent directly. Now, th this, 
the serpent apparently used to walk around. The snake used to walk around because now he's cursed and condemned. He's cursing actually the, the serpent him, uh, itself, the, 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 the manifestation of Satan, which is the serpent. He's cursing it and said, you're actually going to walk around on your belly. You're going to lick the dust is what it says. Now, what's really cool about this in Psalm 72, 9, uh, when it talks about licking dust, you know what that refers to? It refers to total defeat. I think that it's so cool. God's word is really cool, y'all. Like, he talks, he, he says that you are condemned to lick the dust. That's what you're going to do. Now, why does he say that? It's because it's a symbol of utter defeat. It's a symbol that, that right from the get-go, he's defeated, and he says, I'm going to take away your ability to walk around anymore, and you're going to crawl around on your belly, and that's the way that you're going to do it. That's the way that you're going to live, and you're going to actually lick the dust which is a symbol of utter defeat. What's cool about that? See, if, if you, man, it's so good. So where did Adam come from? Where, when, when God created Adam, what, what did he pick up and breathe into? The dust, right? So, so God takes the dust and makes Adam. Adam sins against God because of the thing that the serpent has done, and where does, the, where does God condemn the serpent back to? Back down to the dust, right? It's amazing the full circle that God uses uh, things to happen so that, that it, it's this perfect parallel of Adam comes out of the dust, and then Satan goes back down to the dust. It's the perfect picture of salvation and restoration. The fact that immediately, as soon as they sin, that God starts talking to the serpent and saying, you are defeated. You're defeated. It says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, so here's, here's what's going on. He, he's, he's trying to, to tell her that there will be a, a day there will be a day when, when, when there will be one that is the offspring of woman. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. When We talked about this before not long ago, how that this is a perfect picture of the cross. How Jesus, who was born of woman, was actually hung on the cross. And though he was bruised on his heel, the fact that he, he, his body was battered and, and he was bloodied and he was ripped to shreds and all those things. Even though he was bruised, that same he is going to crush your head, which is total defeat. He's going to defeat sin once and for all. This offspring of woman is one day going to crush the head of Satan is what's literally being said right here. It may look like defeat on the surface, but it's actually going to be defeat for you, Satan, and not for he who is the offspring of woman. It is going to be defeat for you. And then he turns to the woman. He says, he says then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and, you will, and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. There's always going to be this tension between you and your husband, and there's, there's always going to be this desire for you to rule and you to, you to push forward to the head, but that's not the way I designed it, but you're going to continue to desire to do those things, and you're also going to suffer through pregnancy and labor pains. That's, that's your curse as a result of what has happened. That's the pain that's going to come on you, and the man is going to suffer as well. He says, and to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. 
and all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for, for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you are made from dust, and dust, and to dust you will return. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all who lived. And the Lord God made clothing from the animal skins for Adam and his wife. So women have got to suffer this animosity towards her husband because the husband is, is supposed to be the head of the family. They're just going to suffer through labor pains and men are going to have to work because they're going to have to dig through the thistles and the thorns and all that to, to be able to sustain life for them and their families. It's going to be a struggle because of the sin they've committed. It's the same struggle that you and I deal with, the fact that we deal with pain and suffering and death. The fact that we have to work hard and labor hard and do all these things and just try to make a living, to just try to survive every single day, it's all because of this original sin that happened in the garden. But I want you to see something here. That immediately in the middle of all of that, God said, Satan's going to be crushed, even though he's going to bruise the heel of, of the offspring of woman. But then look what, it, look what the first thing God does. God as a Savior, as a Redeemer, look what he does. In verse 22, I think it is. Maybe it's 21, I'm sorry. It's the very end, Connie. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. You know what that is? You know what that is? It's the first sacrifice. It's the first sacrifice. Where did the animal skins come from? It came from an animal, right? And the animal had to die so that he could make clothing to cover their shame. That's the kind of Savior we have. That's the kind of God who loves us. There's a lot of stuff in here about the relationship between Adam and Eve, right? And the fact that, that Eve did this thing, and Adam was responsible because Adam was the head of the family. But what's deeper than that is the relationship between us and our Savior God. What's deeper than that is the fact that this is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture of, of the saving grace that God offers us. It's a picture of how, how God immediately after Adam and Eve had sinned, he makes a, a sacrifice and makes clothes to cover their shame. That sacrifice is what covered their shame. It wasn't the skins. It was the sacrifice that covered their shame. The same thing exists for all of us. That the, the, the shedding of Jesus' blood is what covers our shame. Uh, the, the, the thing that we need to take away from this in the relationships that we're talking about, the, the, the big overall overarching picture is this, is that, number one, God loves us. He sacrificed himself for us, and he cares for us deeply, okay? That's number one. That's the big thing. But we also see some other things here, and that is that this Satan is always trying to cause confusion and, and bring division. He, he was trying to divide Adam from Eve, right? From the very get-go, he was trying to push her the opposite way of what Adam had told her. So he was trying to cause division, and the other big thing that we see, the other big picture we see here, the other big point, if you will, 
is that, that Adam was responsible. Though Eve took the first step, Adam was responsible because he is the head of that family. I, I don't know how God has used this to speak to you. Maybe it's about sin. Maybe it's about uh, your relationship with Jesus. I'm not exactly sure how God wants to use this word, but I know he's going to use this to somebody's life. So let me pray, and I'll allow you a chance to respond. Father, thank you, God, Lord, for the power of your word. God, even through the story of Adam and Eve, God, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the power uh, of sacrifice. We see the power of your love and your grace and your mercy. God, we see how Adam was, was responsible for his whole family. And God, I know that, that what a burden that puts on me as, as the leader of my family, how I'm supposed to be seeking God and seeking the truth of God's word so that I can lead my family the right direction. God, I know as men, God, it's not supposed to be something that we boast about, God, but it's supposed to be something that humbles us. The fact that we are to lead our families, the fact that we are to seek God more than anybody else in our family so that we can lead them, God, with strong hands. Lord, I pray, Lord, just however you've used this message to touch somebody's life today, God, I pray that we would respond in obedience. God, maybe, maybe you're giving somebody an invitation to repentance, just like you did for Adam and Eve when you asked them where they were, when you asked them what they had done. Maybe there's somebody here that just needs to repent of their sin. Maybe right now you're calling out to them. And where are you? What have you done? And maybe somebody just needs to respond in repentance to you and say, God, here I am. I, I, I'm ashamed of what I've done. I, I can see my nakedness. I can see the fact that, 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 that I, I'm standing empty before you. And God, I am ashamed. God, maybe, maybe through this time, God, you just want to cover somebody. You want to cover their shame and cover their nakedness, God, so they won't be afraid. God, that they can, they can be in front of you. They can be close to you. God, without feeling that shame and that burden. That's what you do. That's what you did through the first sacrifice. That's what you did through the sacrifice of Jesus. God, you covered our shame. Lord, however you have spoken to people today, God, I pray that we would just respond in obedience to you. God, we love you. Father, we are so thankful for you. Thankful for the grace that you offer. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. God, this time belongs to you. Be honored now as we respond. In Jesus' holy, precious name I do pray. Amen. Would you all please stand?